but this should be like a pretty laid back, relaxed environment, just FYI. Like if you've got questions, throw your hand up. If you've got a comment, great. If you disagree with what I say, just keep it to yourself. And like, uh, no, I'm just kidding. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the kind of guy that gets into arguments or debates anymore. I just don't do it. I don't have a lot of time left, you know? Um, so it's not really, it's, it's just not worth it anymore. So welcome here, you know, to this uh, interesting edition of More to Life. More to Life, my wife and I started More to Life four years ago. And it's kind of a space in this community that exists to kind of talk about things and try and uncover, rediscover the depth in the ordinary, right? The meaningful and the everyday and the mundane. And to try and help us think a little bit more about what it means to be human. Because um, I'm a big proponent of that. Like, I love that idea and that concept. And so when we've been doing More to Life Nights, People show up, and it's kind of like Russian roulette. They have no clue what I'm talking about. Like, it's just a roll of the dice, and they're like, hey, what's Phil going to talk about tonight? Um, but I've had some things ruminating in my mind and in my heart that I feel like are for a more select audience, right? Like, not everybody wants to hear that. Like, some of the things that I want to talk about aren't necessarily great for what I would consider a general broad audience, right? So we've created this idea of the Living Classroom series which is supposed to be some of those topics. And I've gotten some of these topics from more to life people, right, who come and participate. But again, we're trying to make a little bit more focused kind of area to talk. Like one of the things is parenting. And I don't feel like, you know, I'm going to show up on a normal life with a broad audience and be like, hey, let's talk about parenting. And people are like, all right, see you next week. Like just bow out. But our first one, of course, of course is um, spirituality and faith. And I gave it the title, My Spiritual Alchemy, and I'll talk about that near the end as we kind of get there. But just to kind of give you a little bit more broadness onto the whole idea of this living classroom, it's kind of a layered meaning. Um, when I was thinking about like what I wanted this to look like, I wanted it to look like the idea of, well, what does it mean to live? I mean, I just did this talk at More to Life, and I was talking about the idea that we're all still students. That's what we are. Um, you never stop being a student in life, but people definitely stop asking you what you want to be when you grow up. And, but like they shouldn't, right? Because like we're all still becoming, we're all still figuring this out. And if you think you have it figured out, you're wrong. And if you're acting like it, you know you're full of BS. Like it's just not, it's not there yet. Like you haven't arrived. Like you're unfinished. You're still a work in progress. And so then what does it mean to live and to live well? What does that look like? A lot of people call it adulting now. And I don't really like that term, but whatever. Like, it's like, how are you going to keep moving forward? And more than that, we have several endearing and enduring qualities that we really do value as humanity across the board. And it's like, when do you stop learning about those? And who's teaching you those? And what spaces do you sign up and continue to learn? And so that's kind of one of the ideas behind the living classroom. The second one is, this is a living classroom. It's got living, breathing people in it, right? To inter interact with, to share stories, to learn experiences. And we're all at different life stages, and we're all evolving. And so hopefully, the living classroom is a space that continues to do that, continues to think, progress, move forward, have that momentum to it. So that's the living classroom. This is part one. There's going to be several parts following, but tonight's you got to go hit that white. So let's hit it.
If Ned does this all night, it's going to be fun. <laughs> it just turns off by itself. Like, I know. I don't know. We have no clue. Like, sometimes it does that, sometimes it doesn't. What? Oh, did you like that? I don't know. Winston started like this as soon as it went. He was, I saw the whole thing. I saw him ducking out. All right, well, my name's Phil Gallagher. Uh, I'm a transplant, grew up in Illinois, and have lived here now for 18 years. So I started calling myself a local a few weeks ago, <laughs> just to not to piss people off. And I don't know, we came out here to head up a mentoring program, and honestly, like, my wife and I, we just had really no clue what we were gonna do after college, you know? And let me also preface this with, I'm not a scholar, um, I wish I was more well-read and more well-studied. When I speak, I speak from my heart and my limited own experience because that's all I've got going for me. And so I'm going to do that tonight, and hopefully you gain something out of this. But I grew up in Illinois. Um, I went to church at least five times a week, I think. Like, you know, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night. And if you went to youth group, some other nights, you know, and then you hung out with church friends. So um, it was it was this interesting little church bubble. Like I could sum up my childhood, my teens, all of adolescence uh, with the word churchianity. That's how I like to label it. Everything from growing up in Pentecostal roots to charismatic traditions, traditions to um, non-denominational stuff. And then like being pulled into the Lutheran church. Like, that was my experience. And if you had talked to me at any point during those many years, I would have said I'm a very committed, devout Christian. That's who I am. And, like, I listen to Christian music. I read Christian books. Um, that's, that's me, you know. I wear, oh, I wore a lot of Christian T-shirts. I mean, because the 90s and the late 80s were great for that. We had some good ones. One of my friends had a T-shirt, and it had a goal, like a soccer goal. And it had Jesus diving for the soccer ball, and it said, Jesus saves. It was one of my favorite T-shirts. <laughs> like, I'm not lying. But anyway, lots of churchianity, in my opinion, you know? Especially looking back, I can label that now, for sure. I learned a lot. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I owe so much to those years, um, to who I am now. So much um, heritage, so much tradition, so much that I can stand on underneath my feet. And I'm very appreciative of that. I've got two wonderful parents, you know, who are um, still involved in the Foursquare Church. My dad's an elder, um, and he goes to, like, every youth meeting possible. He's 71, and he's at all of them. He showed me recently, like, a dodgeball wound that he received. And I was like, what are you doing playing dodgeball still? Like, you can't do that anymore, right? But I've experienced all kinds of stories from what I would consider the supernatural to the supernormal. <laughs> and they're still filled with this kind of sacred depth. Um, I've had great experiences, and I've had horrible, horrible experiences. I remember being in the later years of my high school career and telling my parents, like, I am so over this God thing and this church thing, and I don't want to have anything to do with it any more. Then I went off to a private Christian university. 
<laughs> in Indiana. It was most recently in the news because uh, Mike Pence was the commencement speaker there, and a bunch of students walked out. So that's, uh, yeah, it was crazy. But that's where I went, Taylor University in Indiana. And that started me on what I would call the experience of various brands of Christianity. Like, I don't know, it was suddenly like, whoa, so wait a minute, there's a lot of ways to read the Bible. I didn't know this. Hang on, there's a lot of different ways to engage the world. In fact, there's many different ways to be a Christian. I had a roommate who's a devout Catholic, still is to this day, and he's one of my best, dearest friends. I had never, ever, like, been able to experience Catholicism or, like, understand any of it. In fact, my mom grew up Catholic, right? And then 100% reacted to that and found herself in another tradition. Similar vein, but, like, just slightly different. And so... I'm at college and I'm experiencing all of this, and I want to tell you a couple of stories about my college experience because they're formative for where I'm going. But I ended up meeting like five guys, all from various backgrounds in Christian faith. And we connected on some kind of level that I've never connected since. Like, we had friendship that went deep, and obviously, like, you're living in close quarters, you have like more time than you have, than you'll ever know what to do with. And we started connecting and uh, praying together and, and singing together and, and going places together and talking about things. And it just went really deep, really fast. And I remember, like early on, the one thing we did was we shared all of our stories. And so we gave each other one night, and you got as long as you needed to tell your story up until that point in time. And so we'd only been alive, what, like, I mean... 18, 19 years. Like, I mean, we could catch up fairly quick. Some of you guys would have a lot more to tell. <laughs> you know what I mean? But at that point in time, this was amazing. This was awesome. And we told about our struggles, and we had these, like, this accountability group, and we connected, and we just loved it. And those four years of college, for me, completely transformative. Because I just felt like I was opening up, and I was seeing more of this kind of thing of, like, God in people. And it just wasn't about like my tradition and what I felt like was right and what I felt like I had experienced. It was like, whoa, well, here's this other guy and here's, here's, here's his experience. Here's what he's gone through. And it's just as beautiful. And sometimes I found myself like having a hard time reconciling that from what I learned growing up. Because in my churches, pretty much all through adolescence and my teen years, every church I went to had the corner on truth. And if you didn't believe what they believed, man, you should be going to our place. Like, that's kind of what was taught all the time. I still, to this day, I remember one of my pastors growing up saying this almost every Sunday, I felt like. He was like, good people go to hell all the time. And I was always like, wow. You know, like, it just hit me this weird way. Even as a kid, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, like, what are you saying? Like, I just don't understand. I remember going to Israel, my church. Um, growing up was big into Israel, man. They loved Israel. I don't even really know why. I mean, they talked about Israel a lot, and they thought it was awesome. None of them had ever been. But Israel was this big deal at my church growing up. And so when I was in college and I had an opportunity to go there for four months and live there just outside the old wall, of course, everybody was like, go, go, go. And I went, 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 and I was changed. 
I became like really close friends with a Palestinian shopkeeper. And a lot of my friends were off with these like Jewish dudes and these rabbis and stuff. And I'm over here hanging out with these Palestinians, man. And I'm telling you what, I saw a different perspective on that place that I had never seen before. No one had ever told me some of these stories. But he was the guy who invited me to his house. He was the guy who showed me hospitality. He was the guy who crossed some crazy lines and was hanging out with me. And I will never forget Suleiman. He's like this amazing guy. And so I had these different experiences through college, this connection with my, my guys, my friends, um, different things with Suleiman. Some of my friends were really getting into the vineyard church at the time, and they were coming back and telling me stories about people falling down and getting cross, gold cross fillings in their mouth. Um, and I was puzzled, you know? But I do want to tell you about this one other story before I go on to just a little bit more. I went to this thing called the Power Team. I've told this story many times, but this was like a very defining moment for me. The Power Team was this group of ex-Navy SEALs and weightlifters and Olympians and like guys who all got together and they decided to like do crazy feats of strength in order to preach the gospel. And so they would get up and there was a lot of music and things would happen and they would rip phone books in half, they would break handcuffs, they would blow up hot water bottles, which I was impressed. Um, hot water bottle, man. And it looked like a balloon. And they just went for it. And supposedly, if they would pause long enough and let the air come back in, it would burst your lungs, you know? And they just, and the thing goes crazy. Anyway, after every feat of strength, they would clap, they would flex, and they would point to God. And then, of course, like I grew up in this tradition and I felt it coming. This wasn't just feats of strength, and this just wasn't something to enjoy. There was, there was, there was another like, kind of hidden agenda going on here. And we got to it at the end, when they basically started saying things like, and tonight we're going to ask you all, you know, do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you know that, you know, and they started saying all these things. And then they asked people to pray a prayer. They did the whole head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of that. Um, I was always the person looking around. That was me every time, every time. So they did every head bowed, every eye closed, and they had people raise their hands if they would like to make some kind of commitment here after watching Feats of Strength to Jesus. Um, and I watched, like, lots of hands go up. I was pretty flabbergasted, to be honest. And all these hands go up, and this is going on, and I see this one guy up here. He's, like, two rows ahead of me. And his wife is like elbowing him, like trying him, trying to lift up his hand. You know, like she wants him to do this thing that seems really important to her, um, not possibly to him. Who knows? Anyway, he eventually like raises his hand like about this high, you know. And then they say, all right, put every, every hand down. And then I grew up in a church where this happened too. And I was like, here comes the sucker punch. Like it's coming. Not only do we want you to raise your hands now, Every, every head up, every eye open. We want you to walk down to the front. Like, we want you to do something else. Because if you can't do this, whatever you just did means nothing. And so then all these people start walking forward. And this wife is trying to get her husband to go forward. And poor him, like, he just doesn't want to do it. You know what I mean? And you can tell there's tension there. There's stuff going on. He's got some little kids. They're trying to drag him forward. He doesn't want to go forward. Um, 
And then they used some verse up front that was terribly out of context from the Bible, I feel. And it just really hurt me watching this guy. And like suddenly I felt like, you know what? I'm going to write this guy a letter. I don't even know who he is. I have no idea. And he's going to know I peaked. But whatever. <laughs> like I'm going to write him a letter and I'm going to tell him what I feel like I should tell him. And so I write him this letter. And it was a lot like, you know what? It doesn't matter if you raise a hand. It doesn't matter if you walk forward. It doesn't ma- None of this really matters in the grand scheme of things. Like God knows you. God loves you. That's what matters. And I hope that none of this takes you anywhere like further from knowing that, right? And so like I seal this letter up and I'm writing it and when I'm done, I look up and he's gone. And I was like, well, that sucks, right? Like, ah. And so then all my friends are doing stuff and I was like, hang on, like this can't be over. I'm gonna run out in the hallway. I'm gonna see if I can find this guy. And so I'm like running out in the hallway. I'm looking everywhere for him and I can't find the guy. And I literally like end up at this wall and I just do one of these. And I'm a big fan of cutting deals with God. Like, I love it. And I'm like, you know what? If, if this is important, if I'm supposed to give this letter to him, let me find this guy. I'm right next to the bathroom, didn't even know it, and he walks right out. <laughs> and I was like, sick. And so like, I give this guy this letter. And I said, I want you to know that God loves you. And he said, thanks. And he took the letter, and that's the end of the story. Very transformative story for me. Because I wish I had understood, like, more about those feelings and and, and kind of that kind of truth in my heart and the stuff that really makes sense. I'm a big fan that God gave us, like, these senses, and they're important, right? I love the idea of feeling truth. I love the idea of love. And that's like, spoiler alert, where my story is going to end up tonight. This whole idea of spiritual alchemy. Like where it kind of goes and where it ends up is this idea of love. But college was awesome. I graduated with a biblical literature uh, degree (laughs) and a Christian education degree and a youth ministry minor. And I didn't want to work in a church. That's what I decided by the time I graduated. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I'm done with this kind of a thing. It's interesting, right? But like, it's not that interesting. <laughs> like, and so I graduated and I immediately started trying to get jobs that were jobs that I felt like I would never, ever have again. I was going to be a janitor. I tried to be a janitor. Um, I tried to work like night shift at these hotels. I tried to do it. Nobody would hire me. Um, and so I ended up working at Northwest Airlines in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Is it? Small airport, right? I got to smuggle bombs through security and stuff. It was cool. All right. Do you guys like that or not? That's what I'm saying. Winston's still got the light on his side. Okay. If you guys are cool, we can leave it off. All right, sweet. So I'm working at Fort Wayne, and I'm this young guy. I'm new. I'm lowest on the totem pole. No, no, no. There were fake bombs, guys. Yeah, no terrorist thing happening here. It was more like test security. I got this really old guy fired. I felt really bad because he just let it go through. And it looked like a real pipe bomb. I'm not lying. Okay? But anyway. So I'm working, in, I'm working in Fort Wayne, Indiana oh, Airport. Yeah, you do. But I, but <laughs> I didn't then, man. Oh, come you, on, you 
No, 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 no. Northwest Airlines, remember? They didn't want you to have a beard. You had to be clean shaven. I had long hair. I had to cut it. <laughs> like, seriously, man, I didn't have earrings then. Well, stu- like, you know, these. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't then. I looked pretty good, if I do say so myself. So anyway, now... I'm there, and I'm lowest on the totem pole, and they always want to know who the new guy is, and I get stuck with everybody doing all kinds of horrible work. You know what I mean? And it was fun for me. I thought it was pretty exciting, and it was enjoyable. I'm like, this is, this is pretty cool. From what I've been learning for the past four years, this is pretty awesome, right? Emptying poop from planes and stuff. That's cool. And I'm talking with these people, and what I found out was they would ask lots of questions, and they wanted to be like, so what did you study? Like, what did you go to school for? What did this happen? And like, I couldn't lie. So I told him, and before long, it was like, Preacher Phil, like Preacher Phil, like Phil's like a preacher. And um, they started talking about all their problems, and every time someone had a problem, they were like, you better go talk to Preacher Phil, man. You better go figure out what he thinks, man, and figure this whole thing out. And before you know it, like, my whole experience there was talking about their lives and, like, hearing their issues and their struggles and their problems and just, like, offering advice and like talking with them. And we created some really cool relationships. And I remember at that point, I like this a lot. I like this whole life thing, like figuring this out. Like early on, people were trying to figure it out. How do I live? Like, what should I do? Here's this dilemma. Like, what next? You know what I mean? Hey, have you ever heard of any of this happening to someone? What did they do? And so we just got to talking, and I was loving that job. We got married, and I'm working at Northwest, and we have a decision to make, and we're trying to figure out what we want to do, because we really want to change the world, right? Like, this is what I grew up thinking. Like, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to make this huge impact. I need to go somewhere. I need to make something happen. And so we were looking at going to Romania and being house parents of an orphanage. Um, or coming to Breckenridge, Colorado. (laughs) And we ended up coming to Breckenridge, Colorado. Um, It was was interesting because I had a professor contact me who said, hey, I know you don't want to work in church. I know you have zero interest in this, but there's this really non-traditional church out there, and they're looking for someone to work with students. And you should go check this out because I think it might be right up your alley. So we came out here. We met with some people. And uh, we were given free creative reign to like take over this youth program and to kind of like really be experimenting and Mad Hatter kind of ish with it. And we ran with it and we loved it and we did a lot of work with it. And it was awesome. It was awesome, awesome, awesome. That's the next stage. We hit this point where we're working with students. And we've seen all these brands of Christianity and I've experienced churchianity early on in my experience, you know. But Sky, Summit County Youth, became this thing where we were working with students. And the majority of the students that we were working with um, were going to be students that had never you know, experienced church or never been a part of that. And that was interesting to me. I, I really dug that. And so what I started looking at was, well, we had some students who were like involved in other churches. And we, we talked with them. And we also talked with their youth pastors. And we tried to like, get them invested in their churches. Because what we were really interested in was talking about life with students, not necessarily the Bible and teaching them stuff like I grew up learning. We wanted to talk about life. And I still remember two conversations early on. We're talking year number one to this day. Um, A kid named Tommy Moles 
Tommy Moles, we took him to this Young Life camp. And at the time, like Young Life, like loved Summit County Youth and was like, hey, let's be, you can be our branch of Young Life here. And so we went to this Young Life camp and they did their whole thing, right? You do this week, you hear these stories. And at the end, it's a lot like Power Team, right? Power Team experience, here it comes. And they're going to have the kids do this. And I remember sitting with Tommy Moles afterwards. He's like, Phil, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm horrible. I'm like a bad person. And somehow Jesus like makes that better. He's like, but what about middle school? <laughs> what about friends? Like, what about like, how do I get good grades? Like, what about the fight I'm having, you know, with my mom? What about that? And I'm like, what about that? That's good. Like, let's talk about that kind of stuff. And I also remember this other kid named Buzz. He went by the nickname of Buzz, appropriately nicknamed. Anyway, he was, his nickname was Buzz. And we talked with him, and I had this heart-to-heart with him. And he said, Phil, I don't even know why you want me to come to Sky. And I'm like, why? He's like, I've been kicked out of every youth group in this county. I'm like, oh, yeah? And he's like, yeah, like every youth pastor in this county has told me, stop playing games with God and get your life right and figure this out. And if you're not going to do that, you're wasting our time. And I was like, well, I'm not a youth pastor. <laughs> like, I'm just like the head of this program. And this isn't a youth group. And I don't care what you're doing, dude. Let's hang out and let's talk and let's connect and let's share about life. And Buzz came every time after that. Like, he was committed, man. He wanted to be a part of whatever this was. And so we had these relationships. And as we were doing Sky, we're pulling in, like, young adult leaders, and we're talking about stuff. And let's be honest. If you're starting, like, some kind of a youth program and you're trying to do anything spiritual, the people who want to be involved with that are probably people who grow up in that tradition somehow, right? They're probably involved with it somehow. So we're like trying to deconstruct and break this stuff down. I remember having to talk about words. Like we never use the word sin. We never use the word salvation. We never use the word conversion. We never use the word redemption. We never used any of these words. And you had to talk about it another way. And when you started talking about it another way and you tried to explain it in normal human language that anybody could understand, it started to get difficult, right? It was a little tough, I'm not going to lie. And then sometimes you started asking even more questions like, okay, so I'm trying to explain salvation. What is salvation really, right? Like that's when I started facing all of these kinds of questions. We're deconstructing it and we're breaking it down. Like I remember talking about conversion once with my leaders on the side, and I'm like, hey, let's, let's just not talk about conversion. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, there's so many different ideas as to what that could be anyway. And they're like, no, no, I'm pretty sure. You know, and one speaks up and says, here's what it is. And then another one, who obviously went to another kind of church and had a different kind of interpretation, said, no, 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 it's like this. It's a once and for all kind of thing. No, it's not. Like, you better pray before you go to bed at night. You know what I mean? Like, who knows what's going on here? And so then I'm like, yeah, let's talk about conversion differently. Let's ask students to do, hopefully, what we're doing every day, which is we get up and we get out of bed and we face choices and decisions all day long, choices that are either going to advance and enhance life 
or choices that can actually destroy and hurt people and break hearts. That's what I'm asking you to do, students. Every day, all day long, make a choice and be intentional about what you're looking at. So we broke it down and we had all these different words and we're trying to deconstruct and make sense of things. And we had leaders who had lots of questions. So suddenly we were dealing with students who had zero knowledge of like anything church and we're just talking to them. And if you ever went to all of those students and said, hey, what did Phil ever talk about? First thing out of their mouth, I guarantee it would be God's love. That's what they would say, God's love because it always somehow spun back to that and connected to that. And then our leaders were asking questions like, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you having them pray a prayer? Why aren't you presenting the gospel? Why is there never a Bible present at any of your meetings? And I'm like, well, we're trying things a little differently. We're going about this a whole different route. And it took a while sometimes for our adult leaders to get on board. But when they did, and looking back, they see the difference that happened in these students' lives, and their jaws dropped. Their jaws always dropped. And I still remember going with this guy, John Balma, to this meeting. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, you have to remember this. We went to this meeting, and it was like they invited all the youth ministries from all around the county to this meeting. And, it, and we were going to talk about the possibility of something new existing. And then, after we started talking a little bit, the, all of their attention toward to Summit County Youth. John was there with me, and I was there. And they started asking questions, question after question, like, what are you guys doing, and why are there so many students, and, and what is really happening there, and what do you make them do? Are you trying to get them involved in church, and what's happening there? And we were like, I said over and over, no strings attached. And they were like, come on. I'm like, seriously, no strings attached. We're just trying to be with students and love them and help them get through their adolescent years. That's what we're trying to do. And meanwhile, yeah, we do tell them that God loves them because I feel like that's like a huge part of where God's trying to walk all of us toward. And we're still adults and we're still students and we're still coming to grips with that. And what does that fully mean for me? And like they were all just puzzled. And so our leaders too, they're puzzled. We would talk about things like... Um, Heaven and hell. And I remember one leader in particularly, after I did this whole talk on heaven and hell, and I was talking about hell and heaven being very literal, earthy places. That was my whole talk. We talked about like hell on earth and heaven on earth. And students connected with it. What's that really look like? What's that really feel like? Where are you born? Into what circumstances? What's going on for you? Let's look at poverty. Let's talk about like differences. And they were all clicking with it. And afterwards, I had this one leader meet with me and she said, I just don't agree. And I'm like, that's okay. That's fine. I'm not asking you to agree. And I'm still asking you to share your perspective with our students when you go out to lunches and when you talk with them. They need to understand that here's this group of like 12 leaders and here's what I think and here's what I think and here's my experience, here's my limited experience, here's been my story, and we all get to share that. I remember taking students to California, and um, I called this like the exposure trip, right? It was like, here's these students, they're in high school, and they don't have a lot of experience, and we took them to a church where several of them have never been, 
and they're sitting in church, and there were songs, and there was a message, and they saw some people like maybe raise their hand. Um, it was pretty. It was pretty chill. And we went out of that experience, and we talked about it. And some of the students said, "I really liked that. That was that made me feel really good afterwards." And some of my students were like, "That was weird, man. Like I don't think." Yeah. Then we went to um, uh, an IHOP, International House of Prayer, not the fancy like funnel cake place, right? <laughs> but we're talking International House of Prayer. So this was pretty charismatic and this was pretty interesting. And um, we were there for an hour and a half and they were praying that whole time with us and for us and things. And I let our students know what was going on before we went in there. And after about an hour and a half, it kind of broke and then they said, all right, well, now we're going to get ready to get started. And we were like, what? <laughs> and so I looked, I looked at my students, and I was like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna peace out now. Like, you've had the experience I wanted you to have, right? And we stepped out, and we shared, like, what was that like? Who, who, who felt like what? And one of the girls said, that was the most amazing experience I've ever had in my life. And she told a story about her little group of prayer and how she actually was having this like image of a flower in her mind. And this other woman called her out and said, I see a flower in you. And she was like, I felt like God spoke to me for the first time. I was like, that's amazing. I had the guy next to me be like, you know, this place is kind of like, I'm going to refer it to a bottle of cologne. You're just supposed to dab. And I feel like they dumped the whole thing on us. <laughs> you know, like that was his experience. He was like, I don't think I'm ever going to be a part of this thing again. But it was very interesting being with students, watching their exposure, helping them deconstruct it afterwards and talk about it, working with leaders who were at a different stage and listening to their questions and their like, things that they're processing and trying to navigate and like working with them at the same time. Summit County Youth was a very transformative time for a lot of students, a lot of leaders, and especially for my wife and me and my family. I was having sons along the way. And, and we were like, so what do we teach and what do we pass on and what do we even think anymore, honestly, by the time we were getting to those places? What are we going to be able to push off and help them learn and what do we want them to carry away? Because at first we were playing with other kids, other people's kids. Like It's like, I'll experiment all day long with your kids. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'll play Mad Hatter. Let's see what happens. I don't know. But at the end of the day, now here are my boys. That's where a lot of parents start to freak out, you know? There's a lot of parents who get involved in church just for that reason. They have no clue what to say to their kids. They want them to have something, some kind of exposure, but I don't know what to teach them or tell them. I have zero clue. And so, like, we're experiencing that at the exact same time time. The sky motto was live bigger, love better. Like there was no God in there. There was no Jesus in that motto. We chose live bigger, love better because we felt like it was like exactly what we were trying to communicate at the time. I was learning from some leaders that maybe some questions aren't okay to ask. <laughs> they let me know that several times. Some questions aren't okay. And I was like, you know what? No questions. A bad question. You're teaching that to your kids in school. <laughs> Let's teach that to them when it comes to spirituality and faith as well. You can ask anything you want. And we got really good also at saying, I don't know. 
You know what I mean? I had this talk about hell. It was pretty fun. It was with leaders again. And I actually had a leader over for dinner. And he actually moved up here. And he had inside knowledge about me. And he sat me down. And this was the first time we had ever sat down to a dinner together. And he looked at me and he goes, so I hear you don't believe in hell. And I was like, who'd you hear that from? He's like, well, so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, so? <laughs> I was like, geez. And I'm like, all right. And it was like, I felt like right then, it was like divine intervention, you know? I looked at him and I said, well, what do you want me to say? And he's like, well, I want you to say what you think. And I'm like, no, I don't think so. I was like, I kind of feel like our interaction right now is going to determine whether or not we're friends, whether or, not, whether or not we can sit next to each other and still give hugs and stuff. I feel like there's tension here. So I would love to answer the way that you would like me to answer. Like, if you want me to leave in hell, I do. And if you don't, I, I don't. He was really frustrated. But that's where I was at at that point in my life. To be honest, I didn't care much. It wasn't worth the time to argue about. There were more important things at hand. I had several students ask me questions like that. Do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? What do you believe? I'm like, I don't know. I've never been there. Like, I don't, I have no clue. We're all kind of guessing. Like, they're theories. Like, in, like they're called theories most of the times. And, you know, like, it's just like what we're doing. So Sky was this great time. And all through it, as we're deconstructing and trying to come up with new ideas, we have family and friends that are very concerned for us. Very concerned. Like, we're asking some questions, and we're like, I don't know if these questions are okay. Can we do this? I don't know. Let's maybe try this and see what happens. And we had, I mean, I think your mom was definitely praying for me a lot. Like, because I had lost my way, and um, I just wasn't seeing things very clearly. That was kind of hard to work through, not going to lie. Um, when you have certain people that are close to you, like really concerned for you and your kids and things like that. Um, I would love to throw that out there and just say, like, if you're processing or asking questions and people are concerned for you, it's okay. They love you. It's awesome. You have people that love you. And that's a great thing. You know what I mean? But you're not alone either. There's plenty of people asking questions. There's plenty of people experimenting. There's plenty of people who have lost their way. And then so along the way, I'm questioning things like total human depravity. I don't know if any of you guys have a problem with that one. I definitely do. Um, I, think, I think there's something good about being human. I think it's what we're supposed to be. I think that's why you're human. I think that's why I'm human, too. Uh, total human depravity was a big one. I was loving the idea of divine DNA. I was also struggling with atonement theories. Whew. I had studied a lot of this in college, but now a lot of it was rubber meeting the road in life. And I'm telling you what, atonement theories are theories by definition. It's what they are. And I would love to point out that I don't, I don't know what jobs are represented here tonight. I know we have like a retired lawyer. Oh, atonement theory, atonement theory. Um, atonement theories are all explaining what happened in the event of the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, and what really happened there. There's like seven-ish of them, eight-ish of them. There's a couple that are really popular, and there's a bunch that aren't, right? And they're all still theories, and we're kind of like doing our best. I don't know what kind of jobs are represented here. We've got some people here, but 
I'm guessing in your job, you do your best to like figure things out. And like your best, like I, I go to the doctor and I'm a pretty much a, a worrier. And so like when I go to the doctors, I love to get answers. And I remember like not getting answers several times. I leave very frustrated. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're a doctor. Like you took a lot of schooling. But at the end of the day, I mean, Seinfeld has his little thing, you know, when he talks about like doctors and people and how they make you wait in a room and then go wait in another room and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about what happens when the doctor walks out of the room and walks back in and how they run to this huge book and they're like, oh my God, I have no clue what that is. You know, and they're like flipping in the book and they're trying to read up fast and then come back in and be like, oh, you know? <laughs> but like doctors, lawyers, financial analysts, like, at the end of the day, everybody's guessing. They're doing their best. I will say that. We're doing our best, best, best. Well-intentioned, awesome, thoughtful, studied, time put in, <clears throat> guessing. This is what we do. And when it comes to the divine, I think that anything we can say is pretty much inadequate. <laughs> it all falls a little short, right? Like, we're doing our best. But we also have to be open to, but what if our best isn't all of it? What if, what if like, our best is still a little bit short? What if our best, you know? So here's these seven atonement theories, and I'm having some issues. Human depravity, I'm having some issues. And these are biggies, too, by the way. Like, when it comes down to it, you're like, whoa, so what's going on now? I'm going home talking with my parents about, well, I don't even know if the Bible's literal. Like, psh, does it change anything if it isn't? I don't know. And so I'm just reading things, and I'm throwing all these ideas out, and people are thinking, Phil and Ann are quite crazy, right? I remember, this is the stack of books that all started it off for me. This is like college and into the beginning of Sky. Prayer and the Art of Volkswagen Maintenance. <laughs> Great title. Um, the Gutter. This is a book that is all about the fact that Jesus loves porn stars. Like, and I had a shirt for a while that I wore, and everybody was like, what is that, dude? I was, like, hanging out with students, and they're like, why are you? But Jesus loves porn stars. This book, incredible. Changed my life forever. Because he does. Right? This book right here, the story we find ourselves in, man, it's a part of a trilogy, and it's, it's older, but if you haven't read the trilogy, highly recommend you pick up the trilogy and read this. This came along at a point in time where, like, it's talking about someone who, like, apparently has n no real spirituality, but they completely care for the environment. In fact, that's their job. They love the environment so much and feel so attached to the earth that they're caring for it and taking care of it. And the person who comes alongside of them says, man, you're more spiritual than, like, anybody, you know? Like, you're so rooted and grounded and connected to this place. And this place is sacred. This place is a temple. And so, like, it's a really cool book. And right after that, of course, I got The Inconvenient Truth, man. That came out, was rocking my world. Because I was reading this stuff and looking at this stuff and watching what's happening and thinking, like, man, how, for all of my adolescence and my teen years, no church I was a part of cared anything about the world? How? That wasn't a part of my story growing up. I just didn't understand it. So we're, like, torn to these books. Then we've got some really good ones here in the middle. But the only one I want to point out is this one right here. It's called A Heretic's Guide to Eternity. 
by a guy named Spencer Burke. And I think it's out of print now, so good luck. But this one was so fun to read. And then I worked at BCM at the time, and I got Spencer Burke to come here and talk. And he created a little bit of a stir. But that was good. It was good. Because like Spencer had some really interesting things to say, really interesting things. One of the things he threw out there was this whole idea of Copernicus and Galileo. Copernicus and Galileo were like, hey, they were determining. Copernicus was the first one to come up with it, but Galileo gets all the credit. Like Copernicus said, hey, I don't think the Earth is at the center of the universe. But the church at the time said, yeah, it is. <laughs> of course it is. What do you mean? And then he was labeled a heretic, and his books were banned, and all this kind of stuff. And then Galileo comes along a little bit later, and he said, no, 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 no. The sun, the sun's the center of the universe. Like, that's the center for us. Like, we orbit around it. And they were like, no, dude. And they, again, they banned his stuff, and they sentenced him to life imprisonment. Galileo. And it's, it's a really cool idea that, like, sometimes our spirituality and our faith gets so locked into tradition and ideas and we're willing to stake everything on the fact that we're right, even though we're limited, that we like miss what's really going on. And it was so crazy. Because when he talked about that, I was like, I love that idea. Because here's what I'm wondering. What are we spinning around that maybe shouldn't be at the center? Like, I love God. I've grown up in the Christian tradition, but I'm feeling a lot of break from it right now and for a lot of different reasons. But I wonder if it might just be because we've put something at the center that's not supposed to be there, right? That's what I started feeling. And so, of course, what did I do? I started talking about that with people. I started pulling different things in. I was working with BCM at the time, Breckenridge Christian Ministries, and I was speaking a lot there. I was talking on Sundays, and I was coming up with some crazy talks. They were fun, too. I remember this one Sunday. We showed up. It was called a creation walk. Yeah, this one went down in the annals of history. But, like, we did this creation walk, and we were going to, like, just surprise people, and we were going to say, hey, when you guys come here, we've created this little, like, kind of read-through thing. You guys are just going to get up. You're going to go out. You've got leaders, tour leaders, and you're just going to walk out and experience creation nature. And several people were upset, and it was okay. They didn't wear the right shoes. We didn't sing any songs. We didn't pray. But I was like, this is an awesome experience. This is something we need to share, maybe. Let's try this and see what happens. Let's shake it up a little bit. It was pretty fun, honestly. For the people who couldn't walk outside, we did play a video about farming, which was awesome, too. <laughs> it was really cool. I thought it was awesome. But we did some talks like that. I remember another talk I did about the kingdom of God. Oof. And this was a fun series too. But in the part, the part that I love the most was all over the Bible, there's these phrases that say the kingdom of God is like, and then they say something and it's severely outdated, whatever it says. We all go, oh, it's like, what? And then you have to spend like an hour talking about that word and to figure out what that word means and then connect it back and to be like, oh, kingdom of God's like that. Yeah, okay. Like, God's like a shepherd, and I'm a sheep, and I see foxes and bears, and I don't, you know what I mean? Like, you have to get caught up on some of that stuff. So we took this day, and we said the kingdom of God is like, what? Let's create some new stuff. Why should we stop? I'm tired. Like, I hate fishing. Despise it. 
actually. Because I really never catch anything, and it, the whole hook in the mouth thing is kind of bad, you know? So, like, all over the Bible, there's these concepts of, like, fishermen and stuff. And I'm like, I'm over it. Like, I get what it was, but let's take the heart of that. Let's take the idea of that. Let's take the meat of that and bring it here. That's what I learned to do with students. And it was so fun and so refreshing and so life-giving. Oh, my gosh. It made so much sense. So I remember that talk. That was a lot of fun ones. I mean, we had people talking about, like, the kingdom of God is, like, my backyard. That one was pretty sweet. The kingdom of God is like a dance. That was fun. You know, and we started kind of exploring with some of those ideas. Another talk I did that I had to mention was um, this whole box, box talk. And I talked about boxes and how we grow up in boxes and they have edges and they have boundaries. And then eventually that box starts to feel a little confining. And I said, I believe it is the Holy Spirit and I might have even used the words holy energy at that point. I don't know. Um, it's, it's holy energy's responsibility to bust your box. And suddenly you find yourself in this wide open space, and you're like, oh, man, this is awesome. It's wider. It's deeper. It's bigger. It's more expansive. And you can actually grow bigger. But eventually, though, it starts to feel a little confining. And like you start finding some edges and some things. And then holy energy comes along and busts that box again and it kind of just seems to never stop and you just keep 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 going and how awesome that can feel and scary at the same time depending on where you are and who you're surrounded by Ann sent me this video earlier this week was it yesterday it's probably yesterday yeah I get it's been a long (laughs) spring is what it's been. I don't know, man. We might be trapped. But she sent me this video about this guy. It's this rabbi talking about lobsters. Have any of you guys seen this video? Good. That's how a lobster grows. That's how a lobster grows. It's so fascinating. This guy. And the way he talks about it is just so wonderful because he's a rabbi, and they just talk awesome. But he's, like, saying, do you know how a lobster grows? Because, I mean, they have a shell, right? And that shell doesn't grow by the way. So these lobsters, man, they grow and they start filling out their shell and then it starts to be really uncomfortable. And so they go and they hide under a pile of rocks and they lose the shell and they grow a new one. And then they come back out and then they start to fill that shell. And this process happens again and again and again and again. And he's like, can you imagine if we were all lobsters? Because we would just go to the doctor and be like, this hurts. Like, this is uncomfortable. Give me a Percocet. Like, give me something. Like, I don't know. I can't handle this. And he starts talking about life. And, like, the discomfort, right, is where you should be, like, saying, wait a second. Celebrate this moment. Like, I'm growing. Like, I'm advancing. Like, this is happening. And, yeah, it can be scary. It can be risky. It can be vulnerable. But, man, find that new shell. Find that new box. Allow this thing to get bigger because it's awesome on the other side, you know? And then allow it to happen again and again and again. Now, I was talking about all that kind of stuff. We were going through, like, all these different things. And while I'm there, and speaking of VCM especially, um, 
I had already wound up at this idea that like at the center for me is love. Um, I had a long conversation with my parents about the event of the cross. And I said, I feel like the whole idea of sin and this original sin and, and these ideas that like we're flawed and we're not good enough and, and we need Jesus to do something and he dies on the cross and he comes back to life and all this kind of stuff. I feel like that's an awesome event, but I feel like we've put it at the center. And I don't think it's meant to be at the center. And so I slide it over and it's a part of this giant story. But what's at the middle for me is love over and over again. I'm only 41, but I've never known anything to change another human being or transform them like love does. I've never seen anything make such a tremendous impact in the world and alter the course of things as love does. If you want to read a really cool book, it's called Love Does. <laughs> it's by Bob Goff. It's really cool. And he's going to share experience, experience, and story after story about love. We all know it when we come into contact with it. We all feel it. We see it. We know it. We understand it. And it moves us. It changes us. I love the life of Jesus, and I love the love he demonstrated. I love him doing what he did on the cross, and I love the expression of that love through him. I love it, but it's not the center for me. It wasn't. And so, like, now with that center, I'm trying to move forward. And I remember going to BCM sometimes, and I started to change some of my talks when I was at BCM because I felt like I was trying to teach people tennis, and they were showing up expecting to play basketball. And, like, it started to get, like, a little disrespectful on my part. <laughs> right? If people are coming to play basketball, let's play basketball. <sighs> we parted ways with BCM and Sky. And we like were rudderless and kind of lost for a little bit. <laughs> My wife and I were like, what are we doing? What's happening here? What is our faith? What does our spirituality look like? What is this? We started more to life. It's kind of like this whole idea of like, well, maybe we can continue talking about things and exploring things and discovering depth in the ordinary and talking about love on a broader scale. And what does that look like? What does it feel like? How do we pull that into our lives? Meanwhile, I had to decide what, what though, right? Because I feel like we're human beings and we love things to be in boxes. We love to label things and figure it out and have an idea of it. But man, I was really having a hard time. And so I created this idea of spiritual alchemy. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, I was like, if love's going to be my center, and like, I mean, I can back it up with verses from the Bible if Christians have, you know, issues with love being a sinner. It's like, well, when Jesus was confronted by someone and he said, hey, what's the most important command in the Bible? Tell me now. Make it happen. It's like, well, what did he say? He said two things, right? He said, love God, love other people, basically. You know, and a lot of people look at that like that's crazy. But that's really hard to do. Like those two simple things, that's really, really tough to do. I mean, if you're doing those, you're doing the miraculous. That's what you're attempting to achieve. And so I sit down and I say, well, alchemy. I'm going to read you the definition of alchemy just real quick. Alchemy, seemingly magical process. I'm already hooked, like seemingly magical. Process of transformation, creation, or combination aimed to purify, mature, or perfect. I was like, I like this idea of alchemy. Alchemist. 
Someone who transforms things for the better. Someone who transforms things for the better. So like now, I consider myself a spiritual alchemist. That's what I'm doing. And I look back through all of my years and all of my experiences, and what I've tried to do is grab a hold of some things that felt really true, really solid. Like when I look back and I say, okay, what are those elements of faith and spirituality that resonated so deeply within me that they moved me, that they altered my course, that they changed my life? I want to hang on to that stuff. I want to make sure that that stuff is still a part of where I am. And it might not have been something easy, right? I'm not just talking about like roses. Like we're talking about like what was it that I want to take and I want to combine and I want to create and I want to use this to create a spirituality that's worth living for me. Because that's what I want. That's what I want. Or if you're not there yet and you're like, well, I don't want to create something, you know, (laughs) on my own. Well, like maybe you should put together a list of things that you can use as a sort of litmus test on whether or not you want to choose to be a part of something that's already out there, right? So like, I mean, I did this when I was dating, for God's sakes. I was like, I'm going to create a list of things that I want that person to like have. So I was like, you know, I want them to think I'm funny because that's important to me, (laughs) you know? Like, I want her to be able to dance. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I want her to enjoy winks from me, you know, because that's fun to do. Like, you make this list of things, and then you hold those people to the standard. And so, like, maybe there are pockets and, like, of faith communities where you can have a litmus test, and you can say, well, I want these things to be a part of that place. And if it doesn't match up, it doesn't match up. And you keep the hunt on, right? Because sometimes you need to shed the shell, and you need to grow more, right? So... I'm going to give you some of those things real quick that I'm clinging on to, some of the things that are important for me and very vital. Um, Number one, the spirituality I'm a part of has to embrace our divinity. It has to acknowledge the image of the divine on human beings. Human beings have dignity, they have worth, they matter, and they matter more so than like we've probably been taught. We were watching a show last night, and as much as I love the old hymn, Amazing Grace, it is so hard for me to sing the line that I'm a wretch. Because I'm here, and I'm breathing, and I'm good. And there's divine DNA that pumps through me. In fact, I think this is the heartbeat of God. And I'm telling you what, the spirituality that I'm a part of has to recognize that, not only in me, but in you. I've got to be able to see it on every face, every color, every nationality, every language, every human being. And it's got to have that part. That component for me is huge. And again, if I'm centered around love, it makes 100% sense. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter if you're right and I'm wrong. Like you're, There's this divine mark inside of you and on you. And you're worthwhile simply because of that. I hate that so many people walk around feeling like they're not enough. And working with students for 15 years, they all feel like they're not enough. They don't need to hear it again from anybody. You need to tell them they're enough (laughs) and that they matter and that they're important. The second thing that I'm hanging on to is that it has to exhibit and demonstrate some sort of humility. (laughs) 
I am so tired um, of people having the corner on truth. <laughs> like, but I love people being open. I love people opening the field and like admitting that they don't know and that I'm just trying my best. You know, there has to be that dose of humility there that's going on that says, okay, you know what? At the end of the day, we all are guessing, all right? I've never been there. You've never been there. It's probably not important that we argue about that, right? Like, let's just own a little bit of that and say maybe we don't have the answers. You know, I was a big fan of working with students. They would ask me questions, and they would say, well, what do you think? What do you think? And I'd be like, well, I'll tell you what I think today, but you better ask me again tomorrow because who knows what could happen between now and then. I might 100% flip on that. I have no clue. Again, I'm just trying. Like, I'm doing my best with my limited experience. So you've got embrace our divinity, demonstrate humility. Um, number three is the awareness that they're a part of something bigger, that they're a part of something, um, that they're not the end all, right? That this actually is probably a story in which we find ourselves. Eh, that's a shout out to the book. Um, but you are in something, and not only are you in it, you're a part of it. And that requires you to have a role and a responsibility. So you participate. You participate and you help carry this thing forward. Like, I'm a big fan of always looking at your life like it's a story. I love looking at, like, the arc of humanity like it's a story. I feel like maybe we're in our teens. I don't know. Like, we're pretty thinking we're the stuff, but, like, who knows? And so, like, if you look at your life like it's a story and you say, okay, this bigger story that we're in, we participate. We participate. We're helping author a story. We actually help take this somewhere. We're moving it somewhere. Like, if you believe in prayer, I've talked about prayer with a lot of different people. My dad really believes that you have to lay hands on people, you know? And I ask him what happens when you lay hands on people, and he says, something's imparted. I don't know. And then I've got a friend who is in this other kind of um, spirituality, and she believed in resetting energy in things. and things. And, like, the hands were this, like, gateway of energy, you know? And so she would move her hands, like, to different parts of your body. I was like, what's going on? She's like, well, this is where the energy comes out. And I'm like, ooh, kind of sounds like we're talking about the same thing here. I don't know. This is very interesting to me. But like, we're a part of this story. And if you believe in changing it at all, we have a role. Like We're participating, and we're doing something with our words, with our actions, with our thoughts, with our prayers. We carry that power to author a story. And so we're a part of something much bigger. Sometimes that should give us the dose of humility, maybe. But that's 100%. That, that third thing for me is the awareness of being a part of something bigger. Um, the fourth thing, earthy. Any spirituality I'm a part of nowadays, it's got to be earthy. It can't be about anywhere else, really. It's got to be about here. I remember doing a talk called Dirty Jesus, and we made T-shirts even. It was really cool just said dirty Jesus and we talked about that Jesus walked the earth and he was here and that should matter that should mean something like we're here and so like when I say earthy like this place matters planet care matters I always feel like 100% across the board if anybody should be leading the charge and caring for this planet 
it should be or should have been Christians because they have a book that starts with it, for God's sakes, and says, oh, by the way, take care of this place. That's your job. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's got to be earthy. It's got to be here. We've got to figure that one out. Like, it's got to be earthy. And I love the idea, too, that, like, we're here and we're interacting with one another and we're in relationship. Like, when I look at, like, any kind of spirituality, there has to be this constant idea of being in relationship. And that goes, like, full scale. It's, like, in relationship with one another, in relationship with the divine, in relationship with Mother Earth, in relationship. You can't get away from it. It's community at its best. You were placed right into the center of it, and you can't ignore it. You can't escape it. And so you're in relationship, and now it becomes, like, how do those relationships function? And that's one thing that I feel like we should be talking about a lot. Like, our relationships, where do they fall on, like, a health meter? Like, what's going on here? How are we communicating with one another? What's being done in order to advance those relationships and enhance those relationships? That's one more thing. I keep going back to this list. Ah, oh, this is my favorite one. Um, the heartbeat of God. John Philip Newell. I don't know if you, any of you guys have ever heard of the guy or read any of his stuff. Um, I've got this book, Rebirthing God. This is a really great book to pick up. I mean, if you're at all interested in faith and spirituality, this one's really good. He likes to talk about the heartbeat of God a lot. Um, you know it when you come into contact with it all the time. You can feel it and you can sense it. There's a quote in here I wanted to read from him. Well, a couple actually. Uh, hmm. He says, we believe, uh, he's talking about um, a prophet. He says, one of the great prophets of love in the modern world was Simone Weil. Um, and he goes on to say that, Will believed that the universe is essentially a vibration of God. Drawing on her Jewish inheritance, she saw everything as spoken into being by the divine. At the heart of that divine utterance is the sound or vibration of love. The universe is an expression of love, and everything in the universe is essentially a means to that love. Like, I just can't get enough of this book when you pick it up and you read it. Like, I love reading it because, again, it pulls me back to that center. And so many times, so much of the stuff on the edges, I feel that's like bogging us down, weighting us down, and causing some issues and some divisiveness. Like, we can talk about that, but we're going to have to agree to disagree on a lot. Again, like, we're in a river that's pretty wide. And a lot of times what's happened is there are mainstreams that get really focused on and traveled heavily. But there are like these margins, there are these banks, there are these outer places that are still in the river. And they're awesome. And sometimes if you feel like that shell isn't fitting, it's like, you know what? I would encourage you to listen and feel that heartbeat of God. But I'm telling you what, read books that are out of your tradition. 100%. Read books that are out of your tradition. Um, here's one for you. Yeah, yeah. All right. The Quran, right? The Quran includes a beautiful description of the creation of humanity. 
It describes God as drawing us forth from the dark, moist soil. When the first man and woman have emerged from the fecundity of earth's womb, God instructs the angels to bow down before them. The angels prostrate themselves with one exception, the greatest angel. Satan refuses. He says to God, I will not bow to a human being whom you created from the mud, from the Quran. And so, like, I would encourage you to read books out of your tradition. I think it's awesome. I think it's one of the best things you can do, especially if you're looking to maybe, like, grow a little bit and shed that shell, like, explore a little bit, experiment a little bit. And that brings me to my seventh thing when it comes to spiritual alchemy, which is movement and momentum. I feel like when it comes to my spirituality and my faith, um, movement and momentum is very important. It's, it's like one of those moments where you start to feel stagnant or you feel like you're not learning or you're not growing. Um, I question those times. And so like I constantly want to be evolving, constantly want to be like on this track of like, please, there has to be more. Show me more. Teach me more. What does that look like? Where can I find the heartbeat of God that I before, like, I just thought maybe, like, it wasn't there. Like, I didn't pay attention. I love the story of Jacob, like, and he's out in the middle of nowhere, and it's just, like, heaven opens up, and this place all of a sudden becomes holy. And I feel like in this world, we're walking around, and it's like, we should be tripping everywhere like that. Like, you should just be freaking out and thinking, oh, my gosh, I mean, this place is sacred, too. I've always heard that talk about Moses in the burning bush from early in the Old Testament. And like a lot of rabbis will say, hey, that bush was always burning. It's just that Moses finally saw it, right? He finally paid attention. Like this world is on fire with the presence of the divine. And it kind of just takes waking up to it. And sometimes like people will talk about being in a flow or like I like to think of it as a song because I love music, right? So I always think about a song that's always been and that will always be. And there's this song playing and you can hear it. And it's there. And like you start playing in tune with it, right? And the melody becomes that much more beautiful. But we all know when someone isn't playing in tune because it literally breaks our heart. And it happens all the time. You can feel that. When it like starts to go against what the center of all of this is, you feel it. And you can tell when it's like out of tune with the song that's going on. So I'm looking around and I'm thinking, what's revelatory? What's revelatory about the Bible? What's revelatory about faith? What's revelatory about religion? And the one thing I feel like we can't fully grasp, fully wrap our heads around, fully understand is that idea of love. And whenever I go back to the Bible, because I still love the book and I still read the book, like every page and every story in there, I feel like it's this endless process of God saying, but I love you. I love you. Don't you get that? I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you over and over and over again. And it was like new at the time. And we like read it. But if you go back and look, it's like there always. And it's being discovered and rediscovered and rediscovered and rediscovered. And I feel like here we are in 2019. And what we could use some more revealing of is love hundred percent when it comes to us and how to be human. We've got to tap more into that love of the divine. 
We've got to be able to find it and experience it and share it and step into it more and more. So that's kind of where I keep finding myself as a spiritual alchemist. Those are the things like I hold my litmus test to. That's what I'm grabbing a hold of every day and I'm trying to teach and pass on to my kids and hopefully just in small conversations and with people all over the place. That's kind of been my like little evolution of my faith. And so I'm here now. I can't even look over there, but I'm throwing it out there right now. Um, what? I know. I was just going to open it up just quick. Are there any questions? Any? I promise no answers. Um, <laughs> like, I, I'll respond. Like, right? Like, if you have a question or anything like that, like, I would love to respond if anything stuck out to you or any kind of questions. Like, I mean, one of the questions that always gets asked really fast is, hey, are you going to church now? And the answer is no. Um, I don't participate in a faith community right now. Um, my sons don't. My wife doesn't. We've tried to find that sacred space outside of um, what you would consider a traditional like church um, faith community. Um, a day doesn't go by where I don't have a really good conversation, though, that like strikes at those chords, for sure. But any other questions that I could respond to? I don't know. Like, go, Dustin. Is this where we bow our heads and raise our hands? Yes. <laughs> Just wait, man. It's coming, I swear. No, 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 no. Like, that was one of my earliest lessons in um, trying not to kind of betray the, the psychology of it all, right? I think you and I even talked about that at one point. Like, I always try and make jokes in the strangest of places because, like, once you're telling a story that's really pulling at someone's heart, um, you just want to make sure that like we're being respectful of that at the same time because we can feel a lot. I had this kid at a camp come up to me and they did the whole thing again and this was another camp at another time and he came up to me and he was like, I really, 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 um, I, I, want to, I want to pray and I want to do this and I want to make Jesus my savior. I, I want to do this whole thing. And I looked at him and I said, okay, that's, that's really cool. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to sleep tonight and I want you to come find me tomorrow morning at breakfast, right? And I will be happy to sit down with you, and then, and then we'll pray, and, and we'll talk about this more. Um, he never came and found me the next day. And that was just me, and you could be like, dude, you are messed up, Phil. But that was me trying to be respectful of what just happened here and where they took him on this journey and saying, like, tomorrow's a new day. Let's talk about this tomorrow. Let's talk about how you feel tomorrow morning. I would love to sit down with you and um, talk about God some more. But, yeah, staying away from the psychology. Any questions? Responses? So, I mean, some from, like, a more traditional Christian or evangelical Christian perspective. Yeah. People would say, well, you've got to have some authority beyond your own feeling or gut on yeah. This is like what God, what do you do with that? Do you throw that out or do you, do you give any credence to that? Or? Uh, I, I would maybe, I mean, I would start a conversation right there, right? Like that's where the like whole conversation would begin. And I would kind of maybe ask them um, what, what their authority is, you know what I mean? And find out kind of what they're standing on or, or using as that authority. Um, a lot of times what I've found in my life, again, I, I hate to say this, but 
I was talking with Ann's mom at one point, and we were going back and forth about something. I gave her a book, right? And she didn't really want to read the book. And we had had this conversation right beforehand, and she was like, Phil, you just rely on your feelings so much. You know, like you just can't rely on your gut. You just can't rely on your feeling. You can't trust that stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like I have it for a reason. And I kind of like to trust my gut at the end of the day. And so then I gave her this book. And she started reading this book. And I asked her, I checked in with her later, and I said, so hey, how are you liking the book? She's like, I put it down. I couldn't finish that book. And I was like, why? And she's like, I don't know. I just had this feeling when I was reading it. <laughs> like, it just didn't, I just didn't like it. Like, it just didn't. And I was like, wait, so you're trusting your gut? Like, what are you doing? You know, and we kind of went round and round. But at the end of the day, like, we're trusting our gut more than we think, you know? And I do believe that you've been given a brain. You've been given a heart. You've been given these senses for a reason. I'm not going to say that sometimes they don't betray you, but we're all going to make mistakes, and we're all going to go down crazy paths and experiences. The one thing out of the Bible that I do, um, I don't even know what verse it is, and you guys would probably, probably be better at like, telling me where it is, but I love Jesus telling people, he's like, but I will be with you. I'll be with you. And I've always held on to that because I'm like, I don't care like, where I go or how crazy I get. Like, I don't even care how hard it gets or how strange. I still know that God is with me in the process. And I'm okay to, like, be a little weird or be a little crazy. And um, I know that, like, you do have to have other people in your life. And so if I would rely on an authority, I'm saying my gut, my feelings. I have my wife. She keeps me in check a lot. (laughs) And then I do have friends that I honestly reach out to. And we have conversations a lot about this process. What does this look like? What are you learning right now? Hey, like what is, what is happening in your life right now concerning faith and spirituality? And so my authority probably is more gut-driven and communal-driven, I guess, right? Like on those two terms. But yeah, I love the Bible. I think it's a great book. Here's what I'll say about the book. For as awesome as it is, it's also weak in many ways, right? And so what I would throw on top of that is, I love to point this out. I'm like, if you're a woman, like Jesus wasn't one. So bummer for you, right? (laughs) Like, so do you see what I'm saying? Like it's weak in some ways. Like I'm, I'm a dad and I have kids and Jesus was never a father in that book, right? And so I have to start looking for different pictures, different stories outside of that book to help me. And so I'm gonna look to friends. I'm going to look to people who I admire and who I trust and who I feel like are demonstrating and living and breathing that heartbeat of God. I'm going to connect to that. I'm going to chase them down, and I'm going to make that happen. They're going to be an authority, so to speak, for me. Does that at all answer that question? No. (laughs) Sorry. But I think one of the things we have to um, think about is you know, Jesus was in the same situation. You know, he had to break away from the tradition he grew up in and his society. And he also had no reliance on anything except for his past. Yeah. And he spent a lot of time in meditation and prayer. Yep. And relying on his relationship with God and then the trust of other, you know. Yeah, people around him. Yeah. Yeah. To create something new. Yep. 
Yeah. I would back that up. June. You know, just, you know, based on what, you know, you said, for me, you know, I was brought up, you know, 12 years of CCD in a Catholic church and mass every Saturday night. And, and, you know, like for me now, I feel like, you know, it's how you live your life. It's how you treat others. You know, when you talked about how the center is, is love, and it's like, you know, you look around and I think just sitting tonight, it's like, okay, now, what... Are there people out there that I could show more love to, or, or you know, it's I think for me it's just you know living a good life, being kind to people, helping them out, and that you know I don't need a formalized church to do that because I feel like you know someone's watching from above to guide me to live that good life. Yeah. And it's it's all individual. I get it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Erupted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote a really great book called The Great Divorce. Um, it's a pretty fun book that almost like suggests that this is like a shadow life, you know, or something like you have these like parallel lives that are happening. And um, I always remember my grandmother, like who passed away, and she was a pretty bitter woman. Um, she was pretty angry, pretty racist, pretty a lot of stuff. Um, and she drove one of the short buses and at her funeral, all of these kids came to her funeral, and she was always so kind to them and so nice to them on the bus, and she demonstrated such love. And I always think about my grandmother, and I'm like, I don't know like, what kind of faith, spirituality she had, but reading that book, Great Divorce, and looking at her life and thinking about, like, so what, what here are we doing that, that like matters or that carries weight? that has substance and I'm like everything that we do to the extent that we love advance like life and and kind of breathe that in I feel like that has weight and substance and I feel like it carries over I feel like all the other trivial stupid stuff we do just gets lost it's gone and so like I love looking at my grandmother's life and thinking like okay the racism is gone like this other stuff is gone but like man that love that she had that is that's like carried on it's like something that's like a value. And to that extent, you're like living in what I would consider like the new humanity, this new kind of space. Um, you're in touch and in tune with that heart of God, that love that's like really, really real, right? It's real. It's got weight to it. Any other questions? Responses? I know. Right? Ever describe you as complacent or indifferent on any level. Um, in that process, like from you kind of recounting all that stuff, it sounds like you've had to split off or let go or unlearn a lot of things that mm-hmm. once was a part of um, your Christian experience and your tradition. Is there, where does healing fit into that for you? Or where does 
reconciliation, not in the traditional. Yeah. I know we threw that word out earlier no. in the talk. Um, but how does that fit in the story for you? For me, so I've, um, I would use like family, the closest people to us, who tend to honestly practice different faith traditions. Um, that's always interesting. And along the way, like I'm very, I'm very vocal. I'm like inviting people along with me, you know, like, hey, read this book. Hey, check this out. Let's think about this or let's make this happen. And I've been, I talk at great lengths with Anne's mom. And, and so you better add some closure to that story. Yeah, so. She's still kind of painted in a bad light. Yeah, Anne's mom, like now is like, if you think I'm open, like she's open. Like, I'm. It's, it's so fun to watch, you know what I mean? Like, and so all along that process, we've still recognized that like we're family, we're still connected, like this is still a part of it. Um, I think one of the things that I was trying to think about when you said that word healing, um, a lot for me it comes down to, I mean, it's not necessarily even with people, it's also just my heart. I remember thinking, like, I'm asking, like, really crazy questions, um, questions that would keep me up, that wouldn't let me sleep, and things like that. And at some point, um, I'm not even sure how you've gotten there, but it's taken time to get to a place where I feel like God's really big, and I'm okay, and I'm safe, and that's also okay. And I feel like the, the bigger my box has gotten, the more okay I am with um, kind of the disagreement. Like, I'm, 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 I'm so much more willing to agree to disagree and to be all right with it and to allow kind of all of those stages to exist almost, if you would say that. Um, I don't think, I mean, and a lot of times now too, what I find myself doing is, I mean, this is a talk where I just get to talk. So I could just say whatever, you know what I mean? Like, here it is. But when you come into contact with someone and you can feel the resistance, I'm not even going to bring it up, right? It's like sitting at the table with that friend who is like, well, do you believe in hell or not? And I'm like, tell me what you want me to think. Like, so it's, it's okay. Like, we're all on some kind of process. We're all on some kind of chart, timeline, like growth thing. It's happening. And wherever we're at, we're there, right? And that's what's so cool about God being big is he, the divine embraces all of that and is like okay with all of that. I should be okay with that too, right? I don't think I've really, um, not in family or even friends, like we haven't, like it just, when it came to faith and theology, like that hasn't really burned any bridges, like with faith and theology like in spirituality. I don't know. But I remember asking questions. Like the other night we sat around at the table. Here's our dinner table. Hey, so what do you guys think happens after you die? Like so all five of us are sitting there sharing stories about like, well, what do you think happens? I don't know. So we're all talking about things. And then Anne's like, I don't want to talk about this too much. It kind of weirds me out. Like I don't want to, I don't want to think about that too much, you know? And then that night I'm just like, man, you know, and I started asking all these questions and thinking about it. Sometimes they're like questions that still keep me up. 
and I'm not sure what to do with some of those, you know? But I don't know, too, like we're kind of in bubbles, and the majority of people I find myself talking to are asking questions, <laughs> right? Like they're honestly asking questions. Even if you're my dad and you're 71 and you're going to Foursquare Church, you're still asking questions. There's still things in the back of your mind. Um, and I think it's always fun to talk about those questions. So that's kind of what I gravitate towards. And if you think different from me, you know, hey, you voted for Trump, it's all good. Like, let's just talk it out and let's like embrace the moment. So I don't know. That's all I can say to that. What do you think? How are you doing with healing? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Is that what you were asking, Nikki, at all? Yeah, I think so. I think Bill's just, I think he exhibits a bravery because you really follow your gut. And um, it's just interesting. But I think that process can be really hard. And yeah. I personally have experienced pain through that process. So I was kind of curious more from a selfish standpoint. Yeah. Reconciling. It's pretty funny. There's a book called Pilgrimage of the Soul. Um, That's a good read, you know what I mean? For just like wrestling, grappling, and understanding that like I'm going through something and how to kind of be restful in it and also experience some of that, that healing. That's a good one. I'm a big book believer. I mean, you can come check out any of these, but like I am a big book believer. I sat down and I was like, I just want to pick out some random books that kind of like hit it. And this is just kind of like the process, but down here it's more like, Thank God for evolution, necessary endings, big magic, self-compassion, human being and becoming. Like it's all sort of like shifted more to that early experience at Northwest of life. Like I really care about this process of human development and us as people. What does it mean to be human? Because in the end, I feel like that's what we're called to be. And we're called to be great at it and to like really step into our skin and like embrace that. And it feels like we're still in our teens and we're like kind of stepping along and we're making that happen. But yeah, I'm a big book believer and Pilgrimage of the Soul is awesome. So any other questions that I can vaguely talk around and not answer? <laughs> hey, well, thank you guys for being here tonight. Um, Hey, if you want some cards to spark up conversations with people, they're back there. They're from Building Hope. They're kind of fun conversation starters that just get a conversation going between you and someone else that kind of cuts through some of the superficial kind of level stuff and strikes a little bit of a deeper chord. But those are free. You can take those and make those happen. Please grab some more dessert because we have to take it home if you don't eat it. And yeah, like that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, my little story. But if you want to check out Mortal Life, we're here next Tuesday. No, we're here next Wednesday, June 5th. June 5th. And yeah, and we have no clue what the topic is. So you just have to show up for that one. But thank you guys for being here. Go brush off your car. <laughs>